Do you want me to start this thing and hand it off to you, or do you just want to roll with it? Doesn't matter. I can do it. Roll. Jesus declares that on occasion, a storm will come that tests whether our practices are built on a rock or upon the sand. As we find ourselves in the midst of a storm, we unpack five shifts the church must make to ensure our foundation is on the rock. Welcome back to week seven of the Disciples Made podcast. We are in this series of these shifts that we need to make to survive a COVID, post-COVID-19 world. Not just survive, man. Thrive. Thrive. Flourish. Multiply. Fully alive. So we are looking at significant shifts, and this week we are looking at the shift of centralized leadership to decentralized leadership. What are the thought processes that we have to uh, change? What are the the new ways in which we have to lead uh, in this new world? So as we do with most of these podcasts, we spend a little bit of time looking at the definitions. What do we mean when we say centralized leadership? What do we mean when we say decentralized leadership? So Rob has a book coming out real soon. Yes. Called The Starfish and the Spirit that is going to be all about this shift of centralized leadership to decentralized. So, Rob, why don't you kick us off with what do we mean with this? What are these ideas that we're getting around today? How about a story? A story. Stories are always fun. Story time with Uncle Rob. (laughs) (laughs) You guys know I used to be the global mission guy for a large church. And we got involved with a handful of these very apostolic uh, indigenous leaders who'd each uh, had their own little networks of churches they had planted. And they got together, and I got to be at that first meeting. So seven of them and this kid from the south side of Chicago, who was blessed to be in the room. And it ended up, over the next decade, becoming what you could call a decentralized movement. There was 2,000-plus microchurches couple hundred thousand new disciples other people that we had equipped took it into uh, neighboring states one of those networks had more than 3,000 micro churches in it we didn't even count it on our dashboard because it was just somebody we had we trained a team (laughs) they did better than we did (laughs) well that just kind of ruined me and I remember one of my trips to India when I say it ruined me I mean it was like this is like the New Testament. This is like walking around the book of Acts. And I want to experience this back home in Indiana. And I remember a book came out about year two into that experience. And I read it in its entirety. I just started reading, didn't stop reading because I was on a plane ride that was like 18 hours. And it was called The Spider and the Starfish. And it was like Jesus was sitting next to me the whole time I was reading the book, helping me see that this is the form of leadership that was empowering what was going on in India. On that same plane ride, I read this other little uh, insignificant book called The Forgotten Ways. And it like that whole plane trip, it was like Jesus saying, okay, I want to show you a lot of things. <laughs> and both of those books combined in this crazy alchemy. And they literally, those two books, five most influential books for me. Uh, the book is built around this analogy or this metaphor of the spider and the starfish. They look similar. They have appendages. But when you get up close, and especially when you go underneath the surface, you see they're dramatically different. So with the spider, you've got the little legs and you've got a head. And if you pull off a leg or two, it might still keep going. You take off four legs, that spider's done. If you crush the head, the spider is completely 
game over. Rip on the spider. The starfish, if you cut off an arm, you actually end up with two starfish. If you cut off what looks like was its head, you actually have another starfish. Everything that's needed to reproduce is in every cell of the starfish because the starfish is actually a decentralized network. That analogy he takes and applies to organizations and styles of leadership. There's one style of leadership which you call centralized, and it tends to be hierarchical. It tends to be like a pyramid. There tends to be a lot of power that is accumulated up at the top. Decentralized leadership is very different. You're pushing the power and the authority out to the edges, out to the cells, and you're trying to come together around a vision, a set of values, what you could call a fractal that gets embedded into the heart of every person. So you start to see every person as a leader. And the job of the leader now is to empower everyone to get to their maximum influence we're in hierarchy with the starfish um, versus the spider. That's typically not the goal. The goal is to get the spider bigger. You might let a few more people into that top layer to provide oversight. So one is built for movement and the other one is built for growth, I guess you could say. And so that's how I would define those. Yeah, so super helpful. We talked about with the starfish, you've got the DNA that is multiplied through all parts of the starfish so that if if part of it breaks off, it can go build another starfish, essentially. A new starfish emerges because the DNA is in every part of, uh, of that starfish. So the other thing that you said that seemed really significant is that you push power out. So in a, a spider organization based on uh, what Brofman and Beckstrom wrote, you're pulling power to the center. So everything is kind of pulled inward and upward. We want to get it bigger. And you said in a starfish organization, one that's built for movement, you're pushing power out to the to the edges, to the leaders. What does that look like in reality? What's the practical side of that? If you think of the locus of power, again, in the spider, it's going to be in the head. But with the starfish, uh, it's going to be spread throughout the network in many leaders, in many locations, in many teams. Think of it like the internet. So the power doesn't reside in one starfish, but multiple starfish that are operating like nodes throughout a network. So in decentralized leadership, you have to shift to a network mindset. You're thinking about the church no longer as an event or a place. You're thinking about it as a network of disciples and leaders and teams and churches and networks of disciples and leaders and teams and churches and then networks of networks and the goal is to multiply and connect those disciples, leaders, and teams and networks in interdependent ways. So within that network, there's going to be multiple points of power. A small example here in Kansas City, which started as one new thing network, is now up to four new thing networks. We're looking at the launching of the fifth post-COVID. And now you're talking about hundreds of church leaders in different parts of the city brought together around the same vision, gospel saturation through church planting. We have a shared set of values, the four R's of, of new thing, which is relationships, resources, residencies, and reproduction. So there's multiple leadership teams working interdependently with the goal of gospel saturation in the city. So there's this really cool article that's from Harvard Business Review. It's called Understanding New Power. And old power, which is the spider, it works like currency. It's held by a few once it's gained, it's jealously guarded, and the powerful have a store of it that they can spend. It tends to be closed. It's not inaccessible. A lot of times it's personality-driven. 
Whereas new power operates like current. It's made by many, it's open, it's participatory, it's peer-driven rather than personality-driven. It uploads, it distributes. It's like water or electricity. And it's most forceful when it, it surges. You want it surging, you know, out to the edges. You know, Brian, maybe you can jump in with, what, how have you done that? How have you seen that in your ministry career doing all these things like how have you pushed power out from the center what's that felt like when you've pushed it out from the center i think there's two primary forces at play that are going to keep us as church leaders from moving from a more centralized leadership perspective to a decentralized uh, mode of operations one i think for many 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 churches uh, particularly smaller ones and even the larger ones the centralized leadership model is what we grew up with, what we see in almost every other organization, and one that our current structures almost demand of us. Interestingly enough, if you're a church leader, you're on staff at a church, you realize that you have the boss you report to and then all of the different bosses that are in the congregation who have expectations of what you're supposed to do. And the smaller the church, I believe that this is more true. When I work with church leaders around the country, this is the smaller churches with the pastors that move around every four or five, six, uh, seven years. The real boss at that church is the, the power brokers, the people that uh, have the authority. And they expect you to do certain things a certain way. And we feel like even um, as, as employees of a church that we do kind of report to them and it is our job to do the work. Well, if you're the one responsible or at least feeling like you're responsible to do all the work because you get paid for it, that one dynamic alone will keep you from moving to decentralize because you believe you own the responsibility to get it done. That's a powerful dynamic. Dynamic number two, a lot of us get into ministry because we need to be needed. We love having that responsibility, even if it wears us out, even if it separates us uh, from our families, even if it separates us from having any sense of Sabbath emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually, we tend to like to be needed. And that's part of the reason we got into it. And what we need to do is recognize those two forces that are at play in our lives and say, Jesus, I don't want to live under the burden of those two things. I do see that Jesus clearly had a decentralized leadership uh, perspective and platform. He came and he only spent two and a half to three years investing into a group of 12 who he then completely distributed all authority. I mean, it's right there in the Great Commission. I've been given all authority and now I give that authority to you. Go and I will be with you always since the spirit. So he's intentionally distributed his spirit to all of us with the goal that we would continue to distribute it out. Now, let me tell you what is so powerful about learning to distribute that power is you get to see other people thrive in the joy of being God's hands and feet to other people as much as you do. That's it. The thought is, well, I got to do it because nobody else will want to do this. What you've done, if that equation rules your heart and rules the day and how you do your ministry is imagine how much joy you get from serving others. Why would you want to take that personal calling joy away from others. That's the big shift for me. And the big story that I remember that changed everything for me 
is I started to actually lead the very first Disciples Made group. It's now called Leaders Made. And so a guy called me one night. I've shared this story before. Uh, I was uh, getting home for the night. I was you know, from a meeting. It was late. And this guy calls and says, hey, a buddy of mine is uh, going through a divorce. I put my car in reverse, just started backing back out of the driveway. I just knew that he was asking me to go meet with that guy. And it was different. He actually ended up saying, here's what I'm thinking of doing and saying with my friend. He was accepted. And I went automatically in that moment from the role of being the worker to being the equipper. I went from doing the work to helping others do the work. And I realized, holy cow, if I could do this with 12 people, I could end up doing one twelfth of the work. I wonder what it is, though, that will keep us. Is there anything more? I gave two things. One, kind of the expectation, since you're an employee, that you'll do the work. And two, I kind of feel like I need to be needed to do the work. What else might be in the way to keep us from moving from centralized to decentralized? Are there theological constructs, other things that I'm missing? Yeah, I, I think you get into ecclesiology pretty quickly. If our unstated, deep-seated kind of mental models for church... Um, if they're built around a building, if it's built around the idea, well, there's professional clergy and there's laity, you know, if it's built around those kind of ecclesiastical structures that have been built up over time, if we don't question those, um, hierarchical leadership is then just baked into this thing. Because yeah. if that really is like the template for church, it's sitting on my head and it becomes like the water I'm swimming in, pivoting into a different decentralized style of leadership won't happen. You have to change the metaphor. And again, you look at the metaphors for the church in the New Testament, it's a body, it's the vine and the branches, it's all these organic, you know, we're like seeds that are multiplying. These were the images Jesus gave us. And we have to go back to those organic images. And then you go back to Acts 1.8, you go back to, I mean, even Ori Brofman, who's, you know, a professor at Berkeley, right, secular Jew, if you ask him, okay, where do you find the origin point? And he's going to go, well, there was this guy who said, you know, the Gentile lords rule over you. <laughs> but I say, not so with you. Like The church was the first historic breakout, multi-ethnic movement that was a decentralized leadership movement. And, and so we have to recapture that identity. That's our origin. Interesting. And he has a title of King of Kings who chose to rule in a very, very different way when he initiated or inaugurated his kingdom. Not a centralized lordship, but an empowering lordship. So I also think one thing that potentially stands in the way, and this could possibly be redundant based on, I'm just thinking about what both of you have said, is just our own brokenness in the sense of where does my identity rest? So I think just personally for me, as an Enneagram one who likes control. I dropped the Enneagram in there. As uh, someone that's very just black and white, but also I, I know that that identity piece, I think you can take this back to the, to the garden as well. That from the moment, you know, this lie is introduced of, hmm, does God really not want you to eat from that? You know, like you can just track all of these leaders through history. And again, I'm going back to my own self here. I've, I've watched my own style of leadership. It's very much like I have to be known. I have to be loved. I have to create something unique that no one else has ever created before. People must know I have to leave my mark. 
And if we try to give it away, I may not leave that mark. I may not be known. I may not be loved. If I'm trying to find the fulfillment in those things, then I'm going to cling to that. So it's, it's, a, it's a constant idea for me to return to is have the same attitude in you as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. That Philippians 2 passage, of, I mean, you're going back to it already, but just the downward mobility that Jesus takes, if we don't choose that downward, but I think downward mobility implies that there is a giving away. Uh, and I think that that's one thing we found in Kansas City with the underground that we're working with is like, the lower I go, and the more that I give away, the more joy there is in seeing others elevate in what they're doing. I know in my own journey, it has been the identity battle where that is won or lost. You know, because with the old power hierarchical human institution, it's the in- institution that's basically conferring power and identity to you. I'm the ex pastor, you know, lead pastor, teaching pastor. And it becomes a part of us getting sucked into the cultural lie that I am what I do. I am what other people think about me. And institutions tend to, I'm not even saying on purpose, but they do, they perpetuate that way of identifying yourself. It's why their religious authorities were so offended by Jesus. It's like, who do you think you are? You're not credentialed. You're from Nazareth. You're illegitimate, you know? And your people that follow you. Exactly. They're fishermen. Yeah, they're untrained, they're ordinary men. Yeah. But yeah. Jesus knew. He's like, I've come from God. I'm returning to God. I am the beloved. And that kind of inspirational leader, they have an authority that comes literally from heaven. And it transcends institutional power. And then Jesus is basically using that power, like you talked about, Brian, it's like he now it's like activating the gifts, the dreams, the kingdom assignments of everybody. You know, this is for you. I'm giving this to you. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. It's like, do you know what we're going to do with these keys? We're going to crash the car. He still gives us the keys. (laughs) There's that. I love it. You know, at the end of that Philippians 2 passage, it says that Jesus, you know, gave himself up the whole way. But what does it say at the end of the passage? Now every knee bows before him. And go go all the way back through scripture. What was Mary's song all about? You know, I was the lowliest, and you've given me the opportunity to give birth to the Savior. Go all the way back to Hannah in the Old Testament. Similar song. You know, I was the lowliest, I was the emptiest, and now you've given me Samuel. It's the people that end up losing their life that find it. Wait a minute, who else said that? (laughs) It's Jesus. So that identity thing, that's so big, it's such a big piece. If you think about it, there's a couple of different forms of government in the church today. And uh, one would be the Episcopal Episcopal form of government, and that's the largest. And that is very much a hierarchical structure. It's not just a denomination. That denomination is named after a type of structure. And the Roman Catholic Church is also an Episcopal form of government. It starts with Pope, goes to Cardinals, goes all the way down, bishops, archbishops, and the whole like. In order to continue to scale out, you had to create an office above, you know, or below, or in the middle, in order to have that hierarchical stuff going up. That's one structure. Another form of government in the church is the Presbyterian model, which uh, Presbyteros ruled by a plurality of elders. And it sounds as if it's more of a distributed, decentralized leadership model, but in most places, it's it's not. It's kind of a, it functions as a board that all the decisions 
go up into. And so we really don't have many models for a decentralized type of thing. So you and Lance Ford have done a lot of the research and created some language to help us in your book, Starfish and the Spirit. Talk about the breakdowns of authority. Let's not talk about just specific denominations or forms of government. You use Starfish, you use Spirit, you use Starter and all those other things. Kind of break those down real quick at a very high level so that we can try to get some context of what it would look like to move from centralized leadership to decentralized leadership. And then let's go back and let's answer the question, why is that so critical in a post-COVID world? One of the things that I loved about Ori's book is he talked about uh, the hybrid organization. You know, that very few organizations are fully spider or fully starfish. Most of us are going to be some kind of combo special somewhere along the continuum. So we've already talked about if you think of the the left hand of the continuum would be centralization, the spider. The right end of the continuum would be decentralization, fully starfish. Um, in church world, uh, a spider would be a church that has one location with a lead pastor. Uh, if you go to starfish it'd be like these great disciple making movements or church planning movements like sam stevens uh in india they have i think a hundred thousand plus churches in their movement right it's just wildfire but there's stages in between if you start again at the left hand side of the spider the next click over is what we affectionately call the the spider fish (laughs) so in the spider again the locus of power is in the head and it works like a strand of old Christmas lights. If one bulb goes out, the whole strain goes out. You crush the head, you have to go get a new head basically, or you gotta go find the new light bulb, the new lead pastor. With the spider fish, it's spread a little bit further. Think of it like um, a, a hub with some spokes, right? And so now there's power, but it's, it's starting to radiate out in different directions. And that spiderfish expression of the church has its power located in the head or maybe a small leadership team. Typically, there's different departments or arms of the church, each expanding the reach in different directions. The spiderfish may also include multiple services or multiple locations. Um, But typically, in that network, you're going to have like a mothership church that's also really being reproduced in those multi-sites we're tracking. And then the next one over would be the starter. So that's the expression of the church where you've now shifted the power out of the head. So think of like a, a spider and put the power in the middle of the of that, um, or rather think of a star or a starfish and put a, a little black dot in the middle. So now there isn't really a lead pastor anymore or even a lead team at one location calling the shots for everybody. Uh, This can look like one church with multiple congregations with a a shared leadership team that's spread across the movement. Does that make sense? You know, and then again, at the, at the far left uh, end of the continuum is the starfish. And now you have to reimagine the church like uh, nodes and networks, you know, like imagine 20 starfish and they're all kind of connected at tips somewhere. And there's a little power dot 
where the starfish tips connect. It's sort of like what I was trying to describe with New Thing earlier. You know, New Thing is 333 networks involving 6,000-something churches. Um, there's literally 330 power dots. You see what I'm saying? And even those are made up of networks of churches. Gotcha. So let me let me see if I can't use the story of some churches that uh, most of us probably uh, know about on this on this podcast. Uh, let's talk about North Point Church. You know, in Atlanta, started as one church, one pastor, one leadership team, et cetera, and then it started to expand into that spider fish model, kind of the second phase. They started to have multiple campuses uh, across Atlanta, and there was some distribution, but the authority really kind of worked its way up to the central location and the central leadership team. It's typically called franchise. The franchise model. I gotcha. That's helpful. But I know uh, from talking to some of the leaders there, and then uh, I believe this is also true of the Village Church down in Texas, that a lot of those that created those campuses are now allowing those campuses to become uh, more independent, if not fully independent, church plants. So they actually moved them from becoming or from being what you would call spider fish to the starter, the starter. Yep. So starter. It's like a family of churches at that point. Gotcha. And it, and potentially you could have, you know, ten leaders who are deciding kind of together in mutual submission. Where is this family of churches going? What what are we doing together? Okay. Instead of well, there's a guy who's in charge and he's going to tell us where we're going and what we're doing. Yeah, that's kind of the dynamic I was thinking of. What, is, what do I feel like as the main pastor, Brian, put your thinking hat on with this one, just kind of going down a, a, a trail. What, do I, what am I feeling as the guy who's been the center? What am I feeling as the guy or the gal who's been the campus pastor? And what am I feeling as the guy or the gal that's in a, a member of one of those campuses during every shift? Think about that for a minute, because what we want more than anything is to communicate in this podcast the need to move from centralized to decentralized. But the tension is, what does that feel? What does it look like? And then what does it feel like? Yeah, I was actually going to ask a question um, while we were standing here. I was so locked into what you're saying, but I also got a text message and read it um, that was <laughs> from from <laughs> it was from one of our uh, microchurch leaders in the underground. And we are in COVID moment. And so one of the shifts that we made, we had this, uh, we had an equipping gathering, but we had to go to Zoom, right? And all of our micro churches, most of them anyway, also reached a point where they said, most of them said, hey, we need to go to Zoom as well. We can't have all the people in our micro church at our house because there's too many of them. And so as an organization, we said, how about this? Let's take the money that we were spending on these things over here that we don't need anymore. Let's invest heavily in, in the platform of Zoom so that we can just provide rooms to all of our micro church leaders so that they can go longer than 40 minutes, do breakouts if they need to, record it if they want, whatever. And then we set up a pathway where we said, hey, if you need a, a room, this is the process. And we put it in their hands. So they texted us. He just texted and said, hey, can I get a Zoom room for this weekend? Now, one response could be, yeah, let me set all that up for you. And I'll give you this and this and make sure that and I'll show up and I'll make sure the room comes on and I'll do this and this. But we said, look, we've got to decentralize this. If we don't, we're going to be running all over the place doing all of the things 
to make sure that everybody's good and we're taking power away from them when they're fully capable on their own to do these things. And then they're able to host their own event. They're able to, uh, it's just another way to empower them and to not bottleneck it with us. So the question that while you were talking a minute ago that I was thinking to myself is like, yeah, what, what am I feeling as a person that has to move towards giving things away? Like I looked at this text message and I had this moment of like, I got to trust you not to go in there and delete someone else's meeting. Okay, here we go. Um, so to come back full circle, I think to your questions, like what are you feeling first off, if you're the leader of a centralized organization, moving to decentralized goes back to one, you got to be super secure in your identity that it's not in what you do. But step two is you have to put deep trust in the people that want to reproduce that DNA with you. And you've got to believe that they will take it and multiply the DNA that you have given, which also means you have to have demonstrated and modeled it well. Uh, But at the end of the day, you know, the creator of the universe that breathed life into us definitely gave it away to us. So if he can trust us, we, we at, at some level should be able to trust each other. But I I think that trust is a, um, that's a significant first one. Say that again. Jesus did what? If Jesus can trust us, we should be able to trust each other. That's pretty enormous. Think about that. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to bring up a quote I've heard many times. You can structure for growth or you can structure for control, but you can't structure for both. And what you just said is that Jesus structured for growth. Another uh, phrase I hear a lot is leadership is all about choosing which problems you want to deal with. Right? Great quote. I love it. Would you rather deal with the limitations that come with structuring for control? Or would you rather live with the problems that come with helping people pick up a few pieces of things perhaps gone wrong if you structure for growth? And now let me throw something else in here. That's a leading question. And here's the, here's the response. A lot of the people that we're talking about potentially sharing authority, leadership, power, influence, whatever word you want to throw in here, are generally as or more capable than we are. Think about it for a minute. You've got people in your congregation who run $50 million companies. You have people that are C-level folks. You have people that lead teams or are in the mil- a colonel in the military or whatever. They have all this capacity. And we say, welcome to our church. We think you're qualified to hand out a bulletin. <laughs> and you can do it in more than one service even. I, I, I feel myself sounding like sarcastic and that, that feels oh. arrogant in saying those things. And I don't, I don't want that to be the posture, but that was an awareness that I had. I came out of seminary kind of feeling like I was the trained expert and no one else had the capacity to be a meaningful human to the rest of the world. When actually they were far more qualified and actually their input into what I thought I knew actually made me a much better and more helpful leader really in the real world, not just in the comings and goings of the organization that I was leading. And so I actually, my game went up 
as their game went up. So there's a reverse economy, just like there was a reverse economy in, in Philippians 2, Brian, that you shared. Jesus gave the power away and he got back all power. You know, there's a way that when we do start to make this shift from centralized leadership to decentralized, that the boats in the harbor all go up as that kind of spiritual tide comes in. I just want to say again, not to do a shameless plug, but the book is built around seven different starfish that provide really practical and tactical postures and practices to help you as a church leader learn the decentralized form of leadership because a lot of us have been trained in it. And I just want to show this brief story because it intersects what you were saying, Brian. I was talking to a church leader this week. It's a, um, he's been a part of a large, successful, attractional church. He and his wife have served there for 18 years. It's a long time. But often the people who see the way forward are the people who notice the anomalies in the system that they're currently a part of. And over the last few years, as he's had more exposure and more reading, he's realized we're incredible at inviting people who are far from God. We're incredible at creating volunteer positions and people joining teams. We're incredible at creating these you know, initial community experiences, but we're not really making disciples who can make disciples. And he's been trying to initiate this conversation. And he told me he was talking to the executive pastor. And then um, he got called into a meeting with five other pastors. And just to spare the details, there, there wasn't an openness to, maybe there's something we should see here and learn and explore. It was all questions of this person's loyalty. And I, I think as church leaders, one of the things I've learned is, and it took me a while because of what you said, Brian, like you come in with these expectations, I need to be the expert. Actually, God has distributed the intelligence throughout the whole body. And my job is to be the listener. Now, yes, I get to speak into this. I have an apostolic role, visionary role, but actually God is going to be speaking to the whole body. And so God was speaking to that leadership team, but they perceived it as a threat because the five experts are in the room. You know, it's like, and so if you're a church leader listening to this, realize some of the people that are complaining to you, that I'm sorry, they're just jerks. But there's other people, especially if they've been around a while, and if they've demonstrated some currency, listen to those voices. That's what decentralized leadership is about. Like we want to be a collective intelligence, not just one guy who's the expert and always has the final word. What you just said is like we need another podcast on, you know, like what are you listening to and how to do it? Because there is a practical side of how to do it. One of the starfish in the book is called the collective intelligence starfish. We got five ways for you to do it. <laughs> We probably could do another podcast to answer the other two questions of what are you feeling like if you're on this, the campus? What are you feeling like if you're a member? But I know we can't go forever on this. And to kind of keep it high level in this podcast episode, a thought came to me of you said you can either structure for control or structure for growth. And I'm not fully familiar with that whole uh, quote and where it comes from. But as I was sitting here just thinking on it, I thought, I think a lot of the people that are structuring for control think they're structuring for growth in a mindset of like the church world where it's like, I, I, if I control this thing, it's going to grow, you know. But the what I was saying with helping all of these microchurch leaders across the city is, I think I said, I would be the bottleneck if it rested on me. So that's the control piece. Even though I think it's going to be better if I'm over everything and have my hands on everything, I'm bottlenecking. But the 
Anyway, I thought the other thing that you can structure for is saturation in the city. I can either bottleneck everything and it has to come to me, or I can think, which I think in the prevailing model of church, what we don't realize is that we are bottlenecking it to our organization and a location, and it's not going to affect the entire city. And so if we elevate our vision, decentralized leadership helps us think through, man, if we really want to get to a place where this whole city is saturated with the gospel, I have to think decentralized so that I can hit everything out there because this whole city can't fit in here. Yeah, even if, quote unquote, my church was killing it, yeah. I'm, I'm still not making a dent in the percentage of lostness in the city. Like, it has to be a decentralized approach if we really care about our city. That's a brilliant insight, man. Could it possibly come down to this? Do I care about the people in my city that will never come to my church? I'm really thinking about that, because if I, if I have to have my thing get bigger to have more people... And I know that that can only go so far. Am I somehow, without consciously saying it, saying that you only matter if you're going to end up here? So on, on one end of the continuum is the gather and teach, and that is your spider uh, type of church. And then on the other end of the continuum is the empower and send, and that's more leaning toward the starfish uh, type of thing. And I've been doing the empower and send thing long enough to see the results of that. There's all kinds of people that have come out of those that are now leading ministries that are reaching people that our churches would have never, ever touched. Well, in some of those quote-unquote ministries, no one would even know their ministries. It's like mission painting. Yeah. It's a, it's a painting business, yeah. but they're helping literally thousands of orphans Yeah. because mission is a part of their business. Yeah. And, and uh, a wealth management firm here in town is, is running this thing called The Wheel, took a, took a model of a business roundtable and is using it uh, to be um, kind of a, an introductory conversation to bring spiritual awareness and thought and intentionality into a person's life that would not consider themselves a Christian. Uh, but it's a very you know, distinctly Christian opportunity to share the love and the power and the understanding of Christ. So... I'm thinking of all those people that would go untouched if I had held on to it all in order to, you ready for this? Make sure it's not done wrong. That's structuring for control. Let, let's ask the question really quick. We've got to wrap this thing up. Why has COVID made it more critical now than ever to move from centralized to decentralized? Throw it out there. COVID in a very short amount of time showed the fragility of the centralized approach to church. Like we put in all our eggs in the basket of people coming to a building to go to a service, to go into programs. And virtually overnight, I was like, Vroom! that's not on the table anymore. Now, I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way. But for us, the the, the transition into COVID was literally a 15-minute meeting with our ops team. We didn't have to recreate anything. That's the underground. Yeah, that's the underground. It's already decentralized. It's already decentralized. It's already small and reproducing. And, uh, and we've continued to see microchurches emerge throughout the pandemic. You know, it hasn't slowed what we've done. It's accelerated. 
And that's because we've built it on a decentralized leadership model. So I, I do think there's a time of reckoning that's happening in COVID. And next week, Dave Ferguson is going to do a master's level course on what we're talking about. And he's going to show how they're shifting their approach to go even more decentralized uh, so that they can take advantage of this moment in time. And the timing of this whole podcast uh, and this focus in this season is really good because Starfish in the Spirit is coming out very, very soon. March. End of March. Where can we grab that thing? Uh, I've created a website. It's called Amazon.com. <laughs> and if you want to buy some other things there, I've got quite a few products you I'm making Jeff, available. You and Jeff have put that together. Entirely decentralized model. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed it is. Awesome. Hey, friends, um, the world of COVID has caused many, many uh, uh, unawareness for us. We hope that we're able to shed the light on a few of these. As Rob has said, man, come back next week and and hear what uh, Dave Ferguson has to say about centralized leadership to decentralize. The thing that I have found, let me just wrap up with this thought, is the uh, absolute abundance of joy, not just ministry effectiveness, not just the, the huge benefits of saturation potential here, but when I get to look into the face of my children, uh, changing this back to the family model, I love being able to watch my kids walk out of my house with confidence to be adults themselves. I could try to keep my kids dependent upon me, or I could do my best to help my kids be as fiercely independent as they can be. Let's make the move from centralized leadership to decentralized. See you next time with Dave Ferguson. We hope that what you heard today was an encouragement to you or that it increased your curiosity in making disciples that make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our experiences or set up a coaching call, you can visit us at disciplesmade.com or email podcast at disciplesmade.com.